Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope, that the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, Poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy nation and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, and the ark of your greatness and may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance give us more from your spirit fill us with your holy spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance may the service be presented into your divine arms guide it with your uplifted hand almighty god father son and holy spirit amen may the lord bless you you may be seated Jesus 
будет мое на поле, обычно трудится, и один вознесется друг на бока, он с тобой другому уже изменится, на мучение придется остаться тогда. Будет другому уже измениться, на мучение придется остаться тогда. Мгновение ока Христос возвратится за народом, который был ему, и он скажет: Войдите на светники небо. Достойный со мной быть на мрачном пиру, И он скажет, войдите, наследники неба, Вы достойны со мной быть на мрачном пиру. Остальных миллионы воскреснут на буги, Чтобы вместе живыми блистать пред судом. Самый храбрый воскликнет, и Бога великий. Вся земля возрывает пред грозным Христом. Самый храбрый воскликнет, и Бога великий. Вся земля возрывает пред грозным Христом. Приближается день твой, Господь всемогущий, Когда все народы придут пред тобой, Затрубит громогласно ангел трубою, Собирает народы от края до края земли, Затрубит громогласно ангел Редактор 
And so, as always, before we continue to study the depths of our inheritance, the unchanging epigraph to the study of the Word of God, our inheritance in Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. 
that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the laws of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And so that we, as members of the body of Christ, could divide with Christ all that was written about him in Scripture, we will continue our study in the direction of our cooperation with the Holy Spirit in what we must do on our end, so that we receive the right to set aside our former way of life, to be clothed in a new way of life. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24 that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness for the fulfillment of this commandment as we know there are three basic commands and verbs this is to set aside to renew and to clothe we have noted that answering these fateful questions will affect whether we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath or rather will we perfect the salvation that is given to us in the format of a deposit or will we waste it because of this our names would forever be blotted out of the book of life in a certain format we have already examined the first two questions and have stopped to examine the third question what conditions must be fulfilled so that through our renewed thinking we could begin the process of clothing ourselves into the powers of our new man who is created by God in Christ Jesus in the righteousness and holiness of truth and in regards to clothing ourselves into our new man who carries the powers of the resurrection of Christ who came to the conclusion that we need God's help in the subject of his redemptive mercy and the means for accepting this kind of help expressed in the inheritance of God's mercies is prayer and worship. We know that prayer is simply the right that man gives the heavens to interfere here on earth. And we are called to give God this right only on his established conditions. One of these prayers of David is written in Psalm 143, where he gives God the right to interfere in his life with his mercy and truth. It will be an example for us of our inheritance. And so... Psalms 142 Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me, and in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul, he has crushed my life to the ground, he has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me, my heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of the old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. 
I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the hand of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. And so, according to this prayer, we have already noted that the reason for this prayer being released was due to a certain category of enemies that resisted David. This is David's own flesh, personified sin, and personified death. And so to be heard by God, it was necessary for David to present God a foundation or a right that could serve for God as proof that he can interfere in David's life with his mercy and truth. As we have noted, these are ten arguments that David brought to God saying, Hear me because of your righteousness and truth. Hear me because I remember the days of the old and all of your works. Hear me because I spread out my hands to you. Hear me because I trust in you. Hear me because I lift my soul up to you. Hear me for I run to you. Hear me because you are my God. Hear me for your name. Hear me for your mercy. Hear me because I am your servant. In previous sermons, we have already examined the nature of the first argument that gave God the legal right to stand on David's behalf to help him withstand his enemies. We have stopped to study the second argument, this unique argument that the Holy Spirit has given uh, Holy Spirit has given a certain amount of time to, and it is quite a bit of time because this is a very fateful argument. And this argument was evidence brought by David in prayer that showed that he remembered the days of the old and all the works of God in these days. And by through revelation of the Holy Spirit, the image of this evidence is presented in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, which was a standard for a constant prayer memorial before God, containing the standard of a constant prayer. And this breastplate of judgment was made for and served only one object. This was the cooperation between Urim and Thummim in the heart of a person, which allowed God to hear man and it allowed man to hear God. We are talking about continually and not for a certain amount of time. As we have heard, there are different forms of memorials where God remembers something. For example, when he gives a promise, he gives a promise for some time. And then after this time comes, he remembers. 
he remembers. But this is referring to a continual memorial, a continual relationship between God and man and man and God. And so, to be heard by God in the revelations of His Urim, which is the image of the Holy Spirit, it was necessary to maintain a remembrance of the works of God in the subject of His Thumim, which God had made in the days of the old. This Thumim, that is a teaching of Jesus Christ, the breastplate of judgment as a subject of a continual prayer before God is a sacred image of the format of a continual prayer, which gives God the foundation to continually fulfill His will on planet Earth. And so, a prayer that does not meet the requirements and characteristics of a breastplate of judgment does not have a right to be called a prayer, and it cannot give God the foundation or the basis to act on planet Earth. Therefore, millions of prayers that are cried out to God, they do not have this right because they do not demonstrate this image of continual prayer. And the reason why they don't, because they don't even think that this kind of prayer exists, this kind of prayer that is in the 12 precious stones of the breastplate of judgment, each creates their own prayer. Each goes to before God with their own prayer from their own mind. Of course, he might take something from the word of God, something sometimes from his own word, and so forth. But, this kind of prayer cannot give God the basis to act on planet Earth and interfere in the actions of man. Only the format of a continual prayer gives us the right to draw near to God and to enter into the sanctuary as kings and priests unto God to represent an intercession that pursues the interests of God's will. We must be kings and priests unto God. In the Septuagint, this is our translation, the breastplate of judgment is called the sign of justice, because through the Urim and Thummim that are contained in the breastplate of judgment, God could communicate His judgment to man. The image of the breastplate of judgment, as we know, finds its expression in the conscience of man that is cleansed from dead works, on the tablets of which, as well as the seal, is a teaching of Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh. A conscience that is cleansed from dead works with the seal and tablets of truth and righteousness will yield the nature of true worshippers who will give God the right to act in them and through them on planet Earth. In a certain format, we have already looked at the measurements and material out of which the breastplate of judgment was to be made, and we have stopped to look at the next condition, which states, and you shall put settings, so into the breastplate of judgment, stones in it, four rows of stones. The first shall be sardius, topaz, emerald. The second shall be carbuncle, sapphire, and diamond. The third, jacinth, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row, a chrysolite, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to the names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the twelve tribes. Exodus chapter 28, verses 17 through 21. And we know that there were two people in Scripture represented the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. 
the commanding teaching of Jesus Christ. Only through them, the Holy Spirit can engrave on the tablets of our heart these names, these names of God, because the names of the sons of Israel is in fact the names of God, certain names of God which proclaimed through our faith, we give God the right to act in us through those names. Each of the names contained an essence. If this was a name with which God healed, it was called the God who heals. If it was the God who creates victory, he was called differently. Lord of hosts, he has different names. If the God who feeds you he is called differently. And now imagine when a person does not understand these names of God, he does not know that in order to receive healing, he needs to, by the faith of his heart, to proclaim God as his own healer, as his own doctor. And if he needs something, he is supposed to t find the name of God in, this, in these needs, in the supplication. And so, the twelve golden settings yield the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, which as the worshippers of God are called to represent in our continual prayer. So, in these precious stones, the twelve precious stones with the engravings and markings of the twelve names of the sons of Israel is an image of our prayer that represents the perfect judgments of God. In the boundaries of these twelve names, Urim acts the Holy Spirit. This is his atmosphere. From this we note that the golden settings, the stones and the subject of our prayers are engraved to fit the measurements and configurations of the golden settings of truth. Scripture says, take the words of prayer and come to me. We don't take words of prayer. We say, why do I need it? I myself can pray, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy upon me. This is all that we can. Or, Lord, give me. Lord, can you see that I can no longer continue? These are arguments that people usually present before God. But here we are looking at different arguments. You present an argument. Lord, we must not blame God in order to justify our own sins. And the continual prayer is first and foremost an unceasing prayer that finds its expression in trust in God in which a person, representing the interests of God in his intercessory, does not step away from the goal until he receives what he has asked for. There are ten elements that are presented, ten components that in complete balance are supposed to coincide, and our prayer must be created in the atmosphere of these different characteristics, which a continual prayer must have. It does not step away from the goal until it receives what it has asked for. The makeup of the breastplate of judgment is represented in the tree of life, the kingdom of heaven. Growing the tree of life in our heart is building ourselves into the new man created by God in righteousness and holiness of truth into a spiritual dwelling, a holy place.
We have noted that all of the grandeur and order of the temple was made for only one holy object, and it served only one holy object. It was the golden ark of the covenant. The same way the ephod of the high priest with the breastplate of judgment was created and served only one holy object, which was called to exactly double and fulfill the functions of the golden ark. This is Urim and Thummim, because the golden ark of the covenant and the breastplate of judgment figuratively but with different purposes, represented the conscience of a person that had been cleansed from dead works. Urim and Thummim in Hebrew means light and perfection, light and right, or revelation and truth. They define the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Word of God in us. For example, the Decalogue placed inside of the Ark of the Covenant was truth, which the Son of God, Jesus Christ, represented as the Word of God. And this truth was presented in the breastplate of judgment as And the revelation that a person could receive under the lid of the Ark of the Covenant was presented in the breastfeed of judgment as Urim. Therefore, a worshiper of God can only be a person who has a conscience that is cleansed from dead works or who has a wise heart, because in order for truth to be on the tablets and the boundaries of which Thumim could unveil Urim could unveil the revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's a wise heart. A wise heart is a heart that has a teaching of Jesus Christ, which we can receive only through the gospel word of the messenger of God whom God has sent, and not one that we have chosen. Why could saints not have this teaching for, throughout these many generations? Who are knows? If there were to be theologians here, they would exactly say that this is so. What you hear today this generation look on a generations behind they did not hear this word because people chose and they continued to choose pastors and teachers by way of voting the most distorted democratic democratic instrument that is not useful anywhere because what is democracy democracy is the foolishness of men it does not exist there is no such thing as rights in fact there is no democracy it is a lie people are lied to that's why democratic parties in any country are the most evil party who lied to people it's in fact a dictatorship, a dictatorship of certain people. People try to grasp onto others and use them for their own interests. But right now we are talking about Urim and Thummim and the worshippers of God, worshippers of God who can have this Urim and Thummim. Therefore, Exodus 31.6, they have put wisdom in the heart of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. 
We cannot build in ourselves ourselves into a spiritual dwelling first without first accepting the teaching of Jesus Christ through the twelve based teachings, and only then we can, on the foundation of this teaching, accept the Holy Spirit not as a guest, although he might be a highly valued guest, but we can accept him as a guest, but as Lord and ruler of our life, who will begin to unveil this teaching in us, and when he does begin to do so, he says, I will place, put wisdom on the heart of all the gifted artisans, that they make all that I have commanded you into a Sabbath, in whom I can find rest. Therefore, the cooperation of Thomim and Urim is a two formats of wisdom that tell us that the carriers of Thomim and Thomim are worshippers of God and have the immune system of the Holy Spirit. In a certain format, we have already examined the first five properties of a worshiper of God in the first five precious stones on the breastplate of judgment, and we have stopped to examine the sixth component. This is the virtue of the precious diamond stone, which basically the stone or the properties of the stone find themselves in all of the other stones. And the sixth name on the second row from the bottom that was engraved in the precious stone of the breastplate of judgment on the tablets of our heart was the name of the sixth son of Jacob, Naphtali, meaning wrestler. Or enduring in prayer battle with the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 30, verses 7 through 8. And Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. And since this name means wrestler, God took this name and he attributed it to the standard of prayer. That's why the name of God in the precious diamond stone, according to Jewish rabbis in Hebrew, means El Hai, which translated to Russian means, as we know, living God. Therefore, according to the meaning of the name Naphtali in the precious diamond stone, we know that the function of the sixth principle laid as a foundation of our constant prayer is our ability to allow the Holy Spirit to be with us in prayer battle against the powers of darkness that go against us fulfilling the will of God in the name of the living God. But the Lord is a true God. He is a living God and everlasting King. At His wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. I am reading this word indignation or reading this word living he is a living God and the everlasting King. The name of the living God was the format of an oath, and that category of the holy nation that did not learn how to swear by the living God and swore to him falsely, they were headed to total annihilation. Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 16 through 17. And it shall be, if they will learn carefully the ways of my people, to swear by my name, as the Lord lives. So God calls those only those who walk along carefully the ways. And those who are born of Abraham and they do not walk along his ways, he does not call his own. But only those who walk the ways of his people, the ways of Abraham, the father of all believers.
Yes, there is a nationality Jews, and God begins. God is continuing His work through them, and we must bless this government because specifically on this earth. God had made a wondrous work. There walked ancient prophets. There walked Christ. There were born the first apostles of Christ. They came out to preach, to testify of Him. And that's why it is saying here, that, uh, referring to them, if they will carefully learn the ways of my people, so all people, to swear by the name as the Lord lives, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. But if they do not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, says the Lord. In order to not be eradicated and destroyed by the wrath of the living God, it is necessary to be taught the ways of the nation of God to swear by the name of God, El Hai, or living God. And these paths are the paths of the commandments and statutes of God. The condition that gives the right to be taught the paths and statutes so that we can swear by the name of the living God is the desire of their knowledge. Psalms 119.32.35 I will run the course of your commandments. So, the course of your commandments is the course of the people of God. For you shall enlarge my heart. A large heart is when we bring fruit. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. So God can show the way of his statutes through the gospel word of the messengers. And I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. The word delight is, means strong desire. The name of the Lord living, or Al-Hai, means, from translation, means dwelling, great, unlimited in power, determining our being, creator of our being, containing our being, preserving our being, overlooking over our being, and the Lord of our being. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 20 through 21. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. So when we have the fear of the Lord, when we do not have idols, and when we serve to the only God, when we begin to fill the conditions to cling to God, we will receive the right or the foundation to swear by the name of the living God. He is your praise and He is your God who has done for you these great awesome things which your eyes have seen. We know that the power of a warrior of prayer that is contained in the virtue of the name of the living God are called to represent the limitless authority of God over our being and in the time and limits allotted to us. We have a certain time allotted to us to represent the authority of God and certain limits in which we can do this. Some think that they are not called to do they are called to do this throughout the, across the whole earth. It is a church across the whole earth, but each individual person is supposed to represent the authority where he lives. There was a Ukrainian song that I remember, which means basically light 
There where you were born, and you don't need to run to other countries to preach if you are not sent there. Because oftentimes people are sent. There are many missionary organizations today that are not dependent on the church and are not in the order of the church, but they still run to other countries and thinking they are doing good for the Lord. Yes, of course, this will be revealed. The truth will be revealed later, and it will be sorrowful to them. So we will need to define what purpose God pursues when He calls His children to become warriors of prayer, as well as how and under what conditions can God give a person the right to become a warrior of prayer so that a person could represent the interests of God in the realization of His inheritance in God. And this is the will of God, so that we could enter into the inheritance of Christ and God, so that all of that which belongs to Christ in the lost prophets and psalms could belong to us as well. According to revelations from Scripture, our prayer and the quality of warriors of prayer yielded by the virtues of a diamond are supposed to be first, continual, second, perseverant, third, diligent, then with boldness, reverential, with showing faith to God, with thanksgiving, with joy, in the fear of the Lord, and in the Holy Spirit, or by prayer in tongues. In previous sermons, in a certain format, we have already looked at the seven signs of a continual prayer and have stopped to study the eighth sign. This is fruit of joy. We have noted that the fruit of joy in the heart defines the state of the heart of a warrior of prayer as well as the quality of his prayer. As it is written, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Proverbs 12:22. And so, one of the signs with which we could define the presence of an earthly joy will be a joyful heart that will serve as medicine for a person, healing and restoring his faith and trust in God. And when the faith of a person is restored, then he can resurrect all of the promises that he has buried in his heart. And then his heart will take the promises out of the grave and transform it into a triumphant Zion. A broken spirit is an image of a stiff-necked heart that is guided by his pride and unrenewed mind which lacks an atmosphere of unearthly joy. This deprives God of the basis to heal a person. This is how Apostle Jude summarized his short letter to the Church of Christ by notating joy into a certain rank as part of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Jude 1.24 And so a blemish in joy, according to this place of Scripture, is a lack of a foundation that will keep us from stumbling to present us faultless before the presence of His glory. Second, the glory of God abides in the atmosphere of unblemished joy and is an expression of this unblemished joy. Blemish in joy is a spot that yields uncleanliness, malice, and lies. A person who is not free from this blemish cannot be allowed to enter in heaven in virtues such as joy, as well as the other characteristics. As it is written, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is referring to the high Jerusalem that is in heaven, that no one will enter it if anything they have anything that defiles. And so, defining the vessel of an earthly joy and its natural characteristics, we came to the conclusion 
мыслях, словах, поступках и одеждах, одеяниях. That the definition of the essence and purpose of unblemished joy in prayer will be a direct result of the fact that this kind of joy can only come from a person who is pure in state and expresses this kind of state. The two different kinds of joys are two programs that come from different vessels, God and the fallen cherubim. The heart of a person is a program device, and that kind of joy that a person favors clothes him and begins to rule in his essence. And so God and devil are always in battle with one another. And they search for the heart of a person, program device that could accept this program. And these people, they are people who have accepted Christ as their personal Savior. Because he wants to become God. Therefore, if he strives, to, if, if devil tries to go into a person who does not know God, he can't be a God there, because this person is not a house of God. In order for him to be a God, he needs to enter into a dwelling of God. And the dwelling of God can only be people who have come to God, who have accepted Christ as their personal Savior. This is why God and devil search for a person specifically in churches, in all churches, in all denominations. They search for a program device. Who can be this program device? Who can... Sometimes I meditate myself and I think, who... What would I give, what definition would I give to the perfection of the Heavenly Father? What is it expressed in? Because we study this, we are being immersed in this, and so be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. This word, perfection. How do we, with one word, define this perfection? This word means obedience, submission, one word, because God had submitted himself to his word. This is the perfection of God, that he per submit himself to his word. That means that our perfection is called to be expressed in what? In obedience to the word of God. When we obey the word of God, we become perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Only obeying the word of God, we can shine as rays of light for the righteous and the unrighteous and pour it as rain for just and the unjust, bringing blessing to some and punishment for others, just as our God does, who hates tolerance, our holy God, our God who chooses, who is selective. And so remember this one word, because many say, how do we be perfect? One word, obedience. Although he is the Son, he, although he is God, he submit himself to his own word. How did the Son of God, entering in the heart of a person, reach perfection that he had in heaven? It is written that he was obedient until the very end in death on the cross. Take a look. Of saints, it is written, they died in faith without receiving what was promised. They died. They had faith. They obeyed. Faith is 
Obedience, they understood, they accept that which we accepted today. How to be clothed in a new body, they accepted this, but they could not do this, but by faith they accepted it and they lived by it, and they died without receiving what was promised, so that they would not reach perfection aside from us, because this promise is kept for the end day, for the bride of Christ, for God's chosen remnants of the end times. And so, obedience to the gospel word of truth is perfection. But people think that perfection is something different. This is just obedience, submission, because the Heavenly Father is submissive to His word. The Son of God heeds to the word of the Heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit heeds to the word of the Heavenly Father. And when we begin to obey, we can't obey without knowing the commandments and without having the revelation of the Holy Spirit about these commandments we cannot be clothed in them. That is why we are studying the breastplate of judgment that will help us correct, correctly release our prayer to God because our prayer is obedience to the faith of God. Therefore, the heart of a person is a program device but the kind of joy that a person prefers clothes him if a person does not know the fruit of joy he will prefer earthly joy and we know that many in the church do not understand this kind of joy and they say of joy that is something here on earth they say smile wider tell me can of the face look sorrow but inside be joyful earthly joy makes our faces joyful but spiritual joy it could abide with a sorrowful face you can be sorrowful about something but this joy will not seize inside of you there is sorrow for God there is sorrow when you are compassionate towards something but inside you will triumph these are two things. Our bodies cannot fully give this picture, this illustration of the new man until we are clothed in him. I oftentimes thought, Lord, why do people sit sorrowfully while hearing about this kind of joy? And God said, Son, they are not yet clothed into the new man. He rejoices inside of them, but their faces, their bodies are left, they're left in, in sicknesses and illnesses. That's why the body continues to carry the mark of death, a mark of decay, mark of sin. But God has redeemed the body and he wants to adopt it here on earth. He wants to clothe it into the new man. And when our bodies are clothed into the new man, then our bodies will shine with triumph and joy forevermore. And whoever looks at you will come to astonishment from this unearthly joy. This, these will be such rays of joy that no virus can stand before this joy. Any virus will be destroyed when it comes on you. Any enemy, Satan, will run away from you. Because this joy that triumphs, it will cast out demons. They will run away. 
And he even today is, is, is scared because you accepted this in your heart. That's why don't be, don't be scared when you see those with sorrowful faces. And so, if we prefer earthly joy, it will measure our relationship with God and it will suppress unearthly joy because sup the supernatural abilities with our supernatural abilities of unearthly joy it is impossible to test unearthly joy without feeling in our physical abilities because apart from earthly joy it is not an emotion or feeling that betters a mood and when it leads our emotions this unearthly joy then our emotions they do not want to joy they say how do I be joyful if I am in pain if I crashed my car if I was fired from work how can I rejoice when my husband cheated on me or the other way around therefore supernatural joy is the discipline of the mind and the heart that creates peace in the heart of a person and balances controls and leads over feelings as we have said as a horse or as a rider upon this horse that has bridled the emotions of his horse it is necessary to create prayer because God wants our soul spirit and body to participate in worship an unblemished joy in prayer is a proclamation of the faith of the heart that proclaims who God is for us in Jesus Christ and what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, as well as who we are for God and what we are called to do for God in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to inherit all which God has done for us. This kind of proclamation of the faith of the heart is equal to the power of the words that come from the mouth of God. Turning to the unique wisdom of scripture in defining unearthly joy, we decided to examine the virtue of unearthly joy in the heart of a person who is born from the unfeeding seed of the word of truth that abides in Christ. And the first source of unearthly joy is God himself, and therefore, God is the standard and measure that yields the properties of unearthly joy. Because of this, unearthly joy is not just the property and atmosphere in which God abides, but one of his holy names with which he triumphs over his enemies. Psalms 43, 4-5 Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Here we see the standard. This person has joy inside, and outwardly he has he does not have it. The, the body is cast down, and there is there is a reason for this, because adoption has not occurred yet. We have not been clothed into the new man. That's why we must say, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. This is what I do. I speak to myself, I speak with myself, with my inner organs. When they bother me, I say, calm down, everything will be okay. I have healing for you inside, that's why. Be peaceful. 
our body really does come for down from this our organs will because you will speak with them you will speak to them you might know when you want to fast and you say I want to fast and then all of a sudden you have hunger from what the body becomes scared that you even thought about this and now and hunger all of a sudden and it happens when you don't say that you are going to fast and you forgot to eat during the workday and towards the evening you say oh I haven't ate yet and the body is not scared that you have not ate why? because you didn't tell your body you were planning to do it that's why when you tell your body something it understands you for our body is a program device place this program in it speak to it just as David had spoken to it that's why to define the essence of joy and the conditions that we must fulfill to grow and release the virtue of unblemished joy in prayer we had arrived to four aspects this is the definition and purpose of the fruit of joy the price for gaining and releasing the fruit of joy keeping and cultivating the fruit of joy and the fruit and reward received from expressing pure joy in prayer and so in a certain format we have already studied the first three questions therefore we will turn to study the fourth question I think this is the last service we will talk about joy and we will move on to the fear of the Lord and so according to which signs must we test ourselves to verify that we truly have fruit of unblemished joy in prayer and not some kind of forgery I will remind you of the five signs that we have already studied during previous sermons and then we will turn to studying the sixth sign the first sign by which we must test ourselves to verify that the fruit of a blemished joy abides in our prayer is according to the presence and enrichment of hope in our heart. Нищих его насыщу хлебом, священников его облеку во спасение, и святые его радостью возрадуются. То есть определение Сиона. Встает вопрос, по каким критериям следует отличать истинный Сион, утвержденный на учении иудаизма, от лже Сиона, представителя и носителя ложного иудаизма? Как написано, ибо не тот иудей, кто таков по наружности, и не то обрезание, которое наружно, на плоть, по плоти. Но тот иудей, кто внутренний таков, и то обрезание, которое в сердце по духу, а не по букве, ему и похвала не от людей, но от Бога. Римлянам 2, 28, 29. 
Вы знаете, что иудаизм – это учение о рождении свыше, о рождении от Бога. Это учение об искуплении, которое было дано Адаму в Едеме в одеждах, то есть кожаных. Ибо всякий верующий, что Иисус есть Христос, от Бога рожден. Эта одежда представляла умершего за Него Христа. И чтобы Адаму принять эти одежды, ему нужно было знать это вероучение. И Бог ему открыл это искупление, и он принял. Бог не насильно одевал в эти одежды, он оделся. И когда Адам оделся в эти одежды, с Адамом произошло нечто удивительное и уникальное, ведь до этого он был только человеком душевным. Но теперь он стал рожденным от Бога. Он теперь был не только сотворенный Богом, но и рожденный от Бога. Вот оттуда и пошло иудаизм. И первых учеников Иисуса Христа, которые исповедовали этот иудаизм, стали называть христианами. То есть это, разумеется, на греческом языке – машахиты. То есть потому что Христос – это мессия или, значит, вот, Мишах, то они вот от слова Мишех, Мишах, Мессия, стали называть их там Машахиты. И сейчас христиан зовут там Машахиты. То есть это христиане по-гречески, по-машахиты, по... То есть, ну, я не знаю, наши почему-то здесь некоторые люди стали называть себя мессианскими христианами. Вот назовите Машахитами себя тогда, потому что Мессия – это русское слово которая переводит как бы Машиах, Мессия. Итак, вопрос следующий. По каким критериям следует определять свою органическую причастность к Сиону, чтобы таким образом определить в себе наличие истинного плода непорочной радости? Итак, причастность к истинному Сиону следует определять по нескольким критериям, представленным в данном месте Писания. По пище Сиона, которую Бог благословил, по нищим Сиона... The seventh sign by which we must test ourselves to verify that the fruit of unblemished joy abides in our prayer. It is necessary to be God's resting place forever through our partaking to Zion, whom God has chosen. This we can read in Psalms 132, verses 13 through 16. And our partaking to true Zion must be defined by a few criteria. It is by the food of Zion which God had blessed, by the poor of Zion who were filled with bread, by the priests of Zion who were clothed by God in salvation, and by the saints of Zion who shouted with joy. From these four components we can define the virtues of Zion and find them in the Gospel. And so these components that define the power of Zion, the enemies of Zion, will lack. And the first question, What is the criteria by which we must distinguish true Zion rooted in Judaism from false Zion? According to definitions laid out in Scripture, if false Zion will have only the outward appearance of godliness but has denied its powers, then the true Zion will differ from false Zion in the virtue of its godliness, which will be expressed in the fact that saints representing true Zion will look upon orphans and widows in their afflictions and keep themselves undefiled from the world, because that is what is written, that true godliness is to look upon orphans and widows in their afflictions and keep themselves undefiled from the world. These are the characteristics that Scripture gives people who are the carriers of false Zion. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. So, inside, so outwardly they have the appearance of godliness, but inside they will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, 
blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Ra lovers, uh, lovers of pleasure are those people who love to talk about sex. There are, are cer in certain churches there are services where how how sex should should be, and no, the church is a house of prayer and not taught how sex should be. And I, I was I was looking at a service like this. Said, okay, well, one thing if a doctor would come out, who knows about the subject? But another times a brother would come out onto the stage and begin to teach a brother who doesn't look like he knows anything. It is written, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. In the Revelation of John, God calls false Zion a synagogue of Satan, who blasphemes the sons of true Zion, attributing to themselves their virtues and giving them their our blemishes and dishonor. Revelation 2, 8 through 9, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your work, works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. So if they truly were Jews, then as John would say, they were not have left from us. But because they have left from us, by doing so, they show that you, they are not ours and they were never ours. And before we turn to these words about Zion presented in the virtue of the power of godliness expressed in the prophetic message about the four components, we will look at one other mystery. Who are the sons of Zion? Who the sons of Zion are for God? And what have they done for God that God has chosen to give them his godliness to show the difference between those who serve him and those who despise his name? And according to the first part of the verse we are studying, God chose Israel and decided to make it his resting place forever by proclaiming Zion his rest and eternal Sabbath. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. And we know that the word rest is Shabbat. It is the seventh day, the Sabbath. From these prophetic words, we know that before choosing certain people out of the many that are called to salvation and leading them into the virtue of Zion, God had done a huge deed in which he put all of his wisdom, his power, and his means. As well as those whom he chose out of the many that were called to salvation to become a part of the chosen, they had to leave everything and become foreigners, widows, and orphans who are presented in one of the parables of Christ as poor, crippled, lame, and blind. They have also used all their means to become partakers of God's chosen remnants. Let us read this proverb, Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 24. Сказал же позвавшему его. Then he also said to him who invited him. 
he was at dinner at, at one of the rich Pharisees' house, and he, seeing how people were choosing places to sit, he called, he, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back, and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Then you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is referring out of his nation. He was talking about his nation. This is, in the nation of God, there were the maimed, the, the poor, the lame. They cannot call you because they have nowhere, nowhere to call you. They have nothing to thank you with if you give something to them. Now, when one of those who sat at the table heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who eat. Blessed is he who shall eat the bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. Come, for all things are now ready. But with all one accord, they began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Take a look at what happens with the master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, he came into anger. This called out his anger that they had denied coming to his feast. Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. For many are called, but few are chosen. And so the reason as to why the called head declined to come, refused to come to the feast at which God unveiled the essence of their inheritance, because the feast is when the inheritance of Jesus Christ is to be revealed. All of these who were called, they had friends who were not friends of God. If God were to have called these people and commanded one of them to buy the land, the other five oxen, the other to marry, then God would have no reason to be angry at them because their calling would be the food of God and friend of God. But the main verdict of God says that He did not send them to these missionary fields. He did not command them to waste all of His means and purchase five oxen, which refers to their human mind, in which they used their own will to penetrate the mystery of God's words. Do you know five oxen? That five is the hand of God. It is the mind. It is the mind of man that reigns. He says, I have bought five oxen. I am studying scripture. 
Right now, what feast? I have five oxen and I have my own mind and I'm studying. And he also did not grant the permission to marry, but which is meant building churches. They did all of this on their own for their own benefit and their own pride and their own desire to become famous. And those that did not share in their service and their revelations were thrown out by them and cast out. And in this manner, when they heard the voice of God, through the gospel word of the messenger of God, they came to God's prepared feast. And in this manner, they became his chosen and were clothed in the virtue of his Zion. Now let us turn to studying the four components that define the chosen of God by which we can check for the premise of unblemished joy in our heart. First, this is the provision of Zion, which God had blessed, the poor in Zion who are satisfied with bread, Third, they were the priests of Zion who are clothed in salvation, and fourth, the saints of Zion who have shouted aloud for joy. And these four components must be reviewed as in the body of Christ, which are God's chosen remnants, as well as the heart of every individual person who has an organized partaking to God's chosen remnants. And so these four components we are supposed to find in the body of Christ and in ourselves individually. And so the first component, what is the provision of Zion, of which God said, I will abundantly bless her provision? What does it mean? Bless what is already blessed. The provision of Zion is the redemption of the Lord contained in the ancient teaching of Judaism, which was the foundation of the commanding teaching of Christ. Because this foundation contained the truth that uncovered the redemption of God in the birth of man from God, which made a person an heir of God and a partaker to the essence of God. Before his birth from God, Adam was not, did not partake to God's essence. He was a creation, but he was not an heir of an inheritance of God. There's a big difference that, uh, between being a creator of God and being an heir of God. You can make a beautiful table, sew a beautiful dress. This is the work of your hands. It's not what you're partaking to. To make something part of an, your heir, you need to give birth to it with the same program device, with the same program. And so the phrase, I will abundantly bless her provision is interesting and that God blessed only the provision that is already blessed because it is the provision that represents the commanding teaching of Jesus Christ that abides in the heart of man. God cannot bless that which is not blessed. And again, this blessing represents the teaching of Christ that abides in the heart of man. This phrase, I will abundantly bless her provision, means that there is one format of blessing that is blessed by the second format of blessing. Because of this, the next format of blessing sent by God on the truth that has already been blessed by Him and abides in our heart is the Holy Spirit whose calling is to grow this fruit in the heart of a person to the revelation of this truth, to build the heart of a person into his sanctuary and his resting place. And again, this place of scripture, I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they make all that I have commanded you. 
Exodus 31, 6. Now, this verse you can understand. I will bless her provision, abundantly her provision. God blesses only that which is his belonging, which is his. He never blesses that which is something strange, which is not partaking to him. The second component, who must we view as the poor of Zion, of whom it is written, I will satisfy her poor with bread. I believe you already know that the poor of Zion must be viewed in the virtue of a disciple of Christ, expressed in the poor in spirit, because the virtue of a disciple of Christ is unique in that all they received as gain they denied to seek Christ and his teaching instead. Luke chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor. Take a look. Lifted up his eyes toward his disciples. This is not just the sermon that you hear where he said to the people, Luke says, he looked upon the disciples at this time and he said, he spoke to them, he addressed it to them, not to the whole people. Because when the disciples say, why do you speak with parables? He says, because you disciples are given the ability to know the mysteries of the kingdom. To know the mystery, I didn't, they will not understand because they are not mine, they are not disciples. They came to eat and to drink, they came to receive healing. This is why they came. They are not my disciples. That's why I say to them in parables, but I explain to you these parables. He lifted his eyes toward his disciples and said, this is the main phrase of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was addressed to the disciples. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. He called them blessed. He called them poor. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh and so forth. All of this he called or he he called and said about his disciples. Read the whole Sermon on the Mount. All of this is for you, for disciples, students. The third component, who must review as a priest of Zion, of whom God said, I will clothe her priests in salvation. We know that a priest of God is a warrior of prayer or an intercessor who has the authority of God to draw near to God and intervene regarding the fulfillment of his will. And this will, in these words, is comprised of the fact that God clothed them in salvation by which is meant adopting our bodies by clothing us into the new man who is created by God. Colossians 3, 8 through 11. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all to give God the foundation to clothe our bodies into the new man but in the face of our new man 
It is necessary to firmly hold on to the proclamation of our trust, with which we are called to boldly draw near to the throne of grace, to receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Time of need is when the time has come to be filled with this promise. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. In this place of scripture, our sin is already saved. It is clothed in Christ. We are referring to clothing of our body. There is only one part of our bodies that has not yet been redeemed. It is our body that does not coincide with our reborn spirit. The fourth component, who must we view as the saints of Zion, of whom it is written, and her saints shall shall shout aloud for joy. Who are the saints who shall shout aloud for joy? In Hebrew, the word holy first and foremost defines the property and nature of God himself separated from his creation and standing apart from this creation. God stands separated from his creation. None of the angels have ever seen the face of the Heavenly Father. No one. There are several cherubims who can come to him hiding their faces to not see his face. Their bodies they clothe and fly with two wings to transfer the revelations to the angels that God gives them about what to do. None of them have ever seen the the face of the Heavenly Father and no one ever, none of them ever will. But they will only be able to see his children. That's why they, it is written, heavenly angels can see. They do not look at our faces, they look at our new man. And by him, they knew who God is. This is who we must, this is how we must be. They have never seen their creator, and these angels see them through his children. We are these children. If someone have ever seen a young person, and when they haven't seen them for quite some time, 40 years, all of a sudden you see him walking, you come up to him, and he says, oh no, this is not me, this is my father, oh, this is my mother. Sometimes children look so much like their parents in their youth that those who saw their parents in their youth and they never saw the children, they easily, they, they can easily become confused. This is how angels are. They have never seen the Father's face, but they are supposed to see through our new man. When we are clothed into this new man, for them this will be triumph. Then they will be freed from seed, the seed of decay. Right now they are serving our decaying body, but when our bodies are clothed into immorality, 
That's why in Hebrew, the word holy first and foremost defines the property and nature of God himself who is separated from his creation and standing apart from this creation, which points to the fact that saints can only be children born of God. And so to become holy, it is necessary to be born of the holy God. In Hebrew, the word holy points to the belongings belonging to the heritage of God. Because of this, the word holy has rich meanings. And this is not the full meaning. Holy, redeemed by God, chosen of God, born of God, separated for God, justified by God, dedicated to God, taken by God in his inheritance, captivated by God, the property of God, the beginning of God, involved in the nature of God, sharing an eternal authority with God, representing the holiness of divine light and glorified by God, in God and with God. I could bring different I can bring more definitions but I think this is enough for you to understand who who is holy who we are as the children of God because oftentimes the children of God do not know that they are they are so take this write it for yourself learn of it, remember it and begin to thank God Lord thank you that you have redeemed me that you have chosen me that you gave birth to me that you separated me for you when you begin to say who you are for God who we what does holy mean it is who we are for God in Christ Jesus considering that God is the God of gladness and joy saints who are heirs of God contain the genetic nature of the joy of God which expresses itself in trust in God it is the program of joy in the new man that expresses itself in trust in God through growing ourselves upon the root of David. But let all those who rejoice who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those who also love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him as with a shield. And so to summarize, to define in ourselves the presence of unearthly joy, it is necessary to define our organized partaking to Zion, and for this it is necessary to distinguish the true Zion from the false Zion, based on four components. First, the provision of Zion which God had blessed. Second, the poor in Zion who are satisfied with bread. Third, the priests of Zion who are clothed in salvation. And the saints of Zion who have shouted aloud for joy. Now, the seventh sign by which we must test ourselves to verify that the fruit of unblemished joy abides in our prayer is in the expectation of the righteous to be clothed in the new man. The hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Proverbs 10.28 And here the Holy Spirit has led us to the expectation of the righteous to be called in the new man. And we have already mentioned earlier that in this proverb there are two categories of people who have hope in the fulfillment of the promises of God. It is the category of the righteous people and the category of the wicked and lawless who previously had faith and a pure conscience, but then they allowed envy toward the righteous to uproot in their heart and begin to hate the righteous.
And in doing so, they rejected their faith and good conscience, and in this manner they cast their hope into damnation. And as a result, they endured shipwreck in their former faith and strengthened in their evil. They distorted the truth and began to call their evil as a new gospel. Therefore, the expectation of the righteous is the hope of the righteous, which they trust in, and the end result of this kind of hope will be the gladness of the righteous, that will be comprised of the realization of the promises expressed in the clothing of mortal bodies into the new man, whereas the final result of the hope of the wicked on the fulfillment of the promises of God in their life will be the damnation of their hope, which was foundation of their salvation. Because of this, they will lose their salvation and inherit eternal damnation. And so a person thinks that he has unearthly joy in his heart, but because of his envy, he is not happy with his role and his position in the body of Christ. He loses the ability to await with patience for the hope and the promises. Therefore, this person loses the opportunity and ability to bring the fruit of unblemished joy, which serves as a guarantee to receive the promises of the future that abide in his heart through his prayer. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5, 1 through 5, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So, that which we await for is called hope. Hope is not faith, nor its analog, because hope is tied to the wait for the future promises. For we know, Romans 8, 22-25, that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. This means that the whole creation groans and labors, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But we hope for that what we do not see. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So they have it in themselves, and they await for when the time will come for this promise to be fulfilled. And so in these words, the promise of the future that abides in the heart of the righteous and produces fruit of joy is waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. In this manner, faith is tied to the present. When it comes time for the fulfillment of the future promises in time, then faith carries out the revelation of this promise out of the well of hope that is contained in the unseen dimension into the visible and present. So it takes from the unseen and it turns into the visible and present and this is already in us this is information this is this program is already in a program device so the redemption of our bodies through the clothing of them into the new man is intended to be fulfilled during God's appointed time through the power of God through the realization of things hoped for hope faith is substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen 
This is what is said of other. For rejecting their faith and good conscience, the wicked lost their right to the authority to transform the promise of the future out of the well of hope. And in this manner, their hope died. Because of this, they turned in their eyes a different gospel which scripture views as a slippery path leading to damnation. They will have completely different pro- sermons. All that they will have will have is evangelism, the building and creation of churches, and prosperity, material blessings, healing, miracles. This is it. But this is a slippery path leading to damnation. Whereas the righteous, even amid great sorrows, abide in the joy of their heart, which in their hearts is hope in the fulfillment of the future promises. And if the time for the fulfillment of the process, promises of the future has not come yet, then the promises of the future that abide in their heart give them the ability to die in faith without receiving the promises. And they will die with joy. But before the rapture of the church, they will resurrect. And for some time, their bodies will already be glorified. They will already be different. But we will be, and we will be clothed into the new man. And we will meet with them. And for some time, we'll be here on earth together. I don't know how much time this will be. But Christ, when he was resurrected, he was uplifted only on the 40th day. For 40 days, those who had resurrected with him, it said many saints resurrected with him and they came to many. Throughout 40 days, they came to many, just as Christ did. And only then, they were lifted. It doesn't mean that it'll be 40 days. It could be a year. It could be longer. 40 days is just an image in which God fulfills all. Forty days is enough to perfect something, some kind of deed. And this is not literal forty days for us. This might be more. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the church of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. 2 Corinthians 8, 1-2 The fruit of joy makes a person a partaker to the category of the wife, the bride of the Lamb, which gives a person the basis to gladly look at the future of his inheritance that is contained in Jesus Christ. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. Proverbs 31, 10-25. This is referring to the congregation of saints that preaches the truth that you hear. For this is a virtuous wife. It must be found. It must be searched for in a jungle of denominations, in a jungle of churches. And to summarize, the sign by which we contest for the presence of the fruit of joy in ourselves is a kind of hope that abides in the home of a virtuous wife, which is the gathering of saints where the inheritance of hope is preached, as well as the conditions that give us the ability to be enriched by it. Amen. May we bow our knees for whom it is possible, their heads in prayer, and we will thank God that we have the promise in our heart to for the redemption of our bodies, and that the, soon the time will come for this promise to be fulfilled, and God is preparing us for this. We will thank Him for this. We will study Scripture further and prepare our bodies and our behavior and our prayer so that they coincide with the standard of the breastplate of judgment of the High Priest Christ. Amen. 
Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we bow down in this holy place, the gathering of your saints whom you have loved and whom you entrusted with this great mystery. And you called us to this wedding feast. You called them. You walked along roads, cities. You gathered the lame, the weak, the blind to heal them from their blindness, heal them from their lame, to restore them, your Son, Jesus Christ, and to clothe you in wedding garments, to show the difference between the mind of man and the renewed mind which you gave them through the gospel word. May they be blessed before your face forevermore. May you show your glory across the whole church. Not every heart will be able to accept your revelations because many of them will walk to their own fields, will create their own churches. But we thank you that we are with you, that we are here. We have left our nation. We have left our household. We have left our corrupt desires. We have nothing left. We have become poor. We came to you just as we are and have opened our hearts with the readiness that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will reveal to us this truth and will help us fulfill it. Because without your Holy Spirit, not one of us will be able to fulfill what we have heard. But I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that it is no longer our he is no longer a highly valued guest that can come once and then leave leaving his gifts and miracles I thank you for the highest riches and inheritance that are expressed in your inheritance unfading, undying it is the hope of our calling upon your promises that you have promised to fulfill and I believe that you continue to be vigilant over your word you await when you are able to do this for this you have needed thousands of years to prepare your church gifting us gifting it with your own revelations passing along these revelations from generation to generation your wisdom you have multiplied it building your great temple from all of the nations and the peoples and making the temple in each individual person. This has become your dwelling, your Sabbath. May every knee bow down to you according to your word. May your glory come upon through your children who have become partakers of your essence so they could be that light so that they could be so that they could illuminate that power and that glory from which hell will come to astonishment from which the earth will tremble and from which the heavens will come to triumph I thank you for this feast for this revelation and I bow, bow down with your saints Almighty God Father, Son and Holy Spirit Amen Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now may we proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.